and welcome to the Swamp Souls Sparkly Shiny Faux Radio Hour. Going to be playing a selection of tracks, uh, most of which are from the Swamp Soul catalogue, which you can find over at swampsoul.bandcamp.com.
Basically, when I was in high school, I, me and my friends would say get banked whenever someone was acting entitled because it meant like bank, you know, you have to go to the bank and you get banked. And then basically if someone was worse than that because it was like, you know, brank ass, like you're a brank, like you, you don't even need to go to the bank to be an asshole, like you're just a brank. I don't know if that makes sense, but um, that was the thing. Uh, so that's Brank. There's uh, three, three, three major words: uh, Frankass, Brankass, and Meandrel. And basically, they they all have this like they have this like some kind of meritocracy of sorts, you know. Um, Frankass is like the ultimate like, you know, authenticity kind of um, idea, and Brankass is like you're authentic, but in a bad way, but in a good way, you know, in like a mean way. Um, a meandrel is basically like, so a mandrel is a piece of, uh, metal equipment that you usually use for plumbing. And when, so a mandrel dropped, I can actually get the, like, voice, like the video, like the voice recording, but there was a mandrel that dropped on my, my friend's head and it made, it made a sound and it was kind of funny. Um, but the person, the person was okay. Um, that was on his head. <laughs> that was on his head, and uh, um, 
like, how, like, fucking, like, deep can I go? Because this... Okay, this person was a transphobe that <laughs> we found out. Which, you know, that's another story for another day. Um, But, um... Yeah, me when you meander about something... Like, when you meander about something and you talk about something in, like, very hyper-specific detail, then... I see it as a meandral, but meandral is like the neutral kind of basis of like, you know, authenticity being cool kind of thing, so meandral's in the middle. Um, usually I call people brandcasters to kind of make myself feel more superior, because um, I'm the only brandcast. <laughs> but, um, that's a joke, but not really. Um, and then, uh, meandral momented is, uh, well, it's meandral momented, it's already happened. <laughs> And brain Cassidy is like a brain Cassidy, you know, like a brain Cassidy, like it's a, a a product of brain Cass, you know. And Frank Cassidy is the same. Um, yeah, in order to be, I, I didn't even explain Frank Cass, but Frank Cass is basically when you're like very frank, like you're very like you're honest and very frank and up, like up to the point.
my mind's a, you know, it's language first. I got really into linguistics um, when I started university. Uh, I figured it explained a lot of things in my life, you know. Like, I learned this theory, um, you know, just a few months ago, which is the Worf-Sapir hypothesis or linguistic relativism, which says that the language that you speak uh, determines exactly uh, your worldview. So, uh, so I came up with this by sorry, came up with by this guy uh, Benjamin Worf, was an insurance salesman, and he studied uh, uh, the Hopi language of uh, Native America, which supposedly uh, dictated time not as a past, present, and future, but as an entire other entity. And so the idea was that they felt time differently. And this didn't really uh, come into my music-making process until I started forgetting um, words, you know. Like, I forgot the word and uh, just recently. You know, it's an easy word to forget, I think, but um, the problem was I hadn't considered this hypothesis because uh, without the world... Sorry, without the word and, you know, my worldview is suddenly changed. I wasn't calling for my mom and my dad. I was calling for my mom or my dad. And, you know, when I started to mix music, I, I was mixing it for either the right or the left ear. You know, I, I couldn't, you know. And, and so I guess I just decided to do mono music from then on. And I've been a lot happier because of it. You know, I, I don't think spatializing stuff is really, you know, I don't think we have any business doing that. So I just started to use the word with. There's just my mother coming through the door right now. Not my father. Note it.
and recently a violinist, beca mostly because I wanted to perform with um, with Sophia and in our project Frogmeat and with the rest of these Swamp Soul people. My main model is Pierre Boulez and specifically like his late music and the poetic and cultural aspects of it that I think are kind of neglected in his more obvious self-proclaimed descendants um, and a sort of attention to phrasing. I'm very interested in the metaphor of like music as poetry reading. Um, I use a lot of poetic meters. I'm very interested in anapists, trochees, those kinds of things. Written pieces that I'm kind of proud of have included like my first piece was the Silent and Harp duet, The Star and Francis, where I was referencing there were some like little cryptograms like G for girl that were referencing my own transition at the time, my gender transition. Um, and the overall structure was meant to be like a transcription of a Hilma F. Clint painting, The Seven Pointed Star, number one. And there's another near the end there's also a sort of arioso that um, is a like encoded setting of lines from Dante describing St. Francis and I just kind of I thought of it a bit like collage I just mashed all those things together and all of it it uses um, uses repeating pitch class sets um, organized according to like sequences and also repeating um, almost treating pitch cast sets as like repeating chords in the way that you might in a certain kind of pop music or rock music um, which maybe gives me a good way into the um, to the work that I'm doing now with Swamp Soul. I'm still writing notated music that's maybe even where most of my energy is still going but I'm really really excited about what I'm finding with with my friends around here I mean they all <laughs> they all live really close to me it's easy for me to get to rehearsal and such um, I've always had a certain anxiety about the the way that you can be successful in classical music just by saying the right things and appealing to a certain kind of donor rather than to audiences. That's also the advantage in a way because it means it gives you the creative freedom to experiment within a certain intellectual tradition that isn't necessarily populist. And I think that's also the case to a large extent for Swamp Soul, both because we've been working so much at like the Pyramid Club, which is creative New Zealand funded and intentionally for experimental music, 
And also just because we are not trying to make money. And that's something that's very important to me. <clears throat> and I really like the idea of taking that lack of financial incentive as freedom. Not necessarily just to like jack off musically and not respond to any kind of audience, but to play for an audience play to an audience that is small, that is unified by some kind of shared radical, at least aesthetically radical philosophy or set of ideals, which it, you know, it varies how much those might be like ideals that we're expressing verbally that are related to any kind of philosophy or political philosophy or political ideology um, but and how much that's just like feeling that's just the way that we might in high school be drawn to like to some kind to gore to queerness to uh, explorations of the body or the classic um, the, you know, we have all this, all, all this baggage from, from modernism in a sense, and it's the, you know, what was kind of trampled under its foot, as well as the way that things that might have been trampled under the foot of, like, economic modernism, of capitalist modernization, might also find some kind of at least spiritual or aesthetic solace or identification with aesthetic modernisms that might not necessarily actually be politically radical in terms of what the economic function was, but to someone who doesn't know that, who isn't actually there, who's, say, looking at it, at it on the internet 50 years later, you see something that's, like, expressing a feeling of alienation, of, um, of intense and maybe violent sensations within the body, within the mind, um, and thinking, yeah, identifying with it and seeing an image that could maybe bring you power, um, power to express yourself and maybe to, like, in that magical or political sense to establish yourself as an artistic figure. I've always wanted to, with making noise music, noisy music, atonal music, serial music. I've wanted to take the feelings of alienation that I might have and render them legible to a certain cultural script, but in a way that doesn't sacrifice any of the complexities. There's also, you know, the classic wonderful um, ignorance of genre, and I really like the idea of bringing that, integrating that with, uh, <laughs> with the serial aesthetic that's traditionally quite actually, um, quite purist. <laughs> um, saying, no, maybe I can think about that, write those techniques. I mean, currently I'm working with Sophia and Tom Schultz on this piece of mine where I've got a fully notated part for three classical performers and they're just improvising on that and it, it's not that they're necessarily thinking about their parts in exactly the same way that I thought about the notated parts I've written but um, 
I I think there's an aesthetic coherence there, a unity of purpose. Largely the unity also comes through timbral thinking too. Um, we, a lot of us, have, when our improv improvisation practice, this is where I've taken after Baxter and Sophia and all of those in my violin playing that I've only really recently started. Um, thinking a lot in terms of timbre and making unusual noises with the instrument, um, which, you know, that's, that's a trope in a lot of modern experimental music from, from classical to, from various kinds of modern composition, composers of all kinds of schools of thought, and also in, like, I think that's what all, I think that was often a trademark of some 90s and post 90s noise rock, and so that's maybe where we find some common ground as well. Um, making noises that aren't necessarily pitched, that aren't necessarily chordal, that can kind of create that timbre harmony that's more more malleable, less based on any kind of theoretical center and more based on repeated repeated physical actions and you know a kind of sonic choreography
plug my head into my tape machine. Wrap, wrap the tape around my head. And that turns into music. And I go back and I kill more birds. And endlessly kill birds over and over again. And then those birds turn into more birds with more bones. And those bones turn into more music with more birds. And then those birds turn into bigger birds which makes smaller birds that I turn into bones and then into music. And then that music turns into more and more birds. More and more birds. Lots of birds.
Um, we were the greatest band of all time. Really, that's suggested it. We could have been the greatest. Trust me. Um, yeah, I don't know. It was just kind of like non-music, but like in the most musical way possible. Sustained a few injuries from that band. Um, I got headbutted in the nose once. Surfing on your guitar. Yeah, I would, I would, I would skate on my guitar, and that would damage my guitar a lot. Yeah, it was just a good band. I reckon there's not much to tell. 